0: Hey, welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your guests, Ted Poella and Chris Church.
1: <laughs> and we are your hosts, Parker Dolman And Stephen Craig. This is episode
2: 278. Ted Poella is Altium's Chief Ecosystem Officer and Head of Nexar, Altium's Cloud Business Unit. Ted holds an MS in Engineering Mechanics from Michigan State University, a BS in Oceanography Oceanographic Technology from Florida Institute of Technology and an MBA from IE Business School, Madrid, Spain. Chris Church is a founder and the chief product officer at Macrofab. Chris has been working in the software industry for over 20 years with a focus on robotics and electronics over the last decade. Prior to Macrofab, he founded Dynamic Perception and Alert Logic.
1: Welcome, Ted and Chris, to the podcast. I'm hoping you all had a good day so far.
0: So far, so good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate the opportunity.
1: Um, So let's jump right into it. As some of our listeners might know from our blog and press release, Altium was a participant in our most recent fundraising round. Can y'all expand on this, Ted and Chris?
3: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Chris, you want to kick it off? Sure, sure. So the... um You know, we've been talking, you know, with Altium for quite some time. um, And Altium is, you know, when we look at it amongst our user base, um, it is one of the most uh, prevalent EDA tools out there. And having the opportunity to partner up and team up with each other uh, with, with the two companies to really provide a better experience for engineers at Macrofab and provide a better experience for engineers in Altium, in the Altium 365 space, I think was a really natural fit, and uh, I think this is a great opportunity for both of us.
0: Yeah, and just to add to that, I would say Altium, likewise, has been paying attention to Macrofab for quite a long time, and, you know, when we look at the electronics industry and specifically, you know, how printed circuit boards and electronics are manufactured, you know, we think there's a lot of room for improvement, and when we think about something like digital transformation, it just seems like a place that's, that's ripe for that, and, and what we see in Macrofab is a company that is dedicated to, really, that, that digital transformation, and you know, we believe in that vision, and we want to support that vision, and likewise, you know, we're anxious to work together with Macrofab to combine our forces and do something that's really going to be impactful for, you know, for people who care about electronics.
2: So, uh, given that digital transformation, what is Altium's goals around connecting uh, design engineers to manufacturing data?
0: Yeah, I, I guess the simplest way that I think about it is that it's, it's kind of like saying, you know, rather than uh, doing something for someone, you know, do, do, do I want to do something for you or do I want to do something with you? And when I think about the way that we, in in the design world, we talk about manufacturing, you know, we always use this phrase that says, design for manufacturing. And it still, to me, deep down implies that you design and then you kind of like pass that along to somebody in manufacturing when you design for them. Um, We want to change that. We want to change that to where it becomes designing with manufacturing, because we inevitably see that people in the manufacturing world, they have something to say about design. So that it can be manufactured uh, more cost effectively faster uh, more reliably that sometimes people on the design side don't see because they're not connected to what happens downstream and that and um, and so fundamentally that's what we want to do we want to move it to a situation where design and manufacturing are are integrally connected and, and are happening at the same time not in a serial fashion
2: I kind of envision uh, somewhat of a Venn diagram where you have two circles that are separate. one is design and one is manufacturing, and they've traditionally not overlapped a whole lot or or you've you've traditionally paid somebody a lot of money who knows how to make them overlap. Uh, so they so drew
1: I, the circle that's them in the middle yeah <laughs> right,
2: right so uh, so I guess this is bringing those two circles together, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yep, that, that, that's our goal. We want to we do that and um, yeah, just make it so that those barriers, you know, would blur the lines between design and manufacturing ultimately.
3: and I think, you know, to, to really add on to that, that has always been, you know, one of the challenges we faced at Macrofab. You know, if you go through all this great work to design a product, you've you've done your research, you've picked all the best parts, you spent you know perhaps weeks or months on this uh, circuit board design, and you upload it to us, and all of a sudden we're telling you, you know, certain things are we can't purchase them. This is going to cost you too much money, and that just that sense of frustration to go through all that effort just to hear at the end you really haven't hit your targets. If we can work together to really bring that information to the forefront during the design phase and save that frustration get that, get that design to production, to manufacturing much faster. I think, uh, you know, we'll really have succeeded for, for both of our, our customers here.
1: So what would be the concept behind that? Is that taking, uh, is that informing the engineers in the, during the design process of the manufacturing process?
0: I think, you know, I guess from, uh, you know, within Alton we see that uh, it's one thing to inform people, but it's a different thing to get them to work together. And I, and I think that's more important. Informing them is definitely important. But, you know, our, the, the industry's best sort of attempt at that so far has been creating design rules, for example. And, and that you have information, but it's not, it's really not the same as, as people working together, in the context of of sort of looking at the same thing, right? And uh, design rules can get you a a fair ways, and they have, they've certainly helped the industry. But I think people working together, people working in a more collaborative way, um, whether they're, you know, kind of focused on laying out a printed circuit board, whether they're focused on deciding which components are going to be put in it, or they're, um, figuring out how the heck they're going to actually, you know, get that onto an assembly line and get put together. Uh, all of those things, you know, I, I feel and, and we feel as a company that, you know, those that, that should be a collaborative approach, not not a rules-based approach. Not so it, it takes more than just, you know, um, being informed. It actually takes working together.
2: I, perhaps I'm jumping the gun a little bit here, but uh, in in practice, how do you see that actually uh, looking? Is that something where the as the design engineer is physically clicking something on their screen they get information about what they're doing and the impact later on down the
0: road? So uh, you know I guess i'll I'll jump in again and I would say that I think that what we're um, uh, that that would be kind of like a that would be. The ultimate vision for what I think we can achieve together. Now, being practical, I think we can't go from where we are today to that end state kind of in one step. That's going to take multiple steps together, or multiple steps to you know to get to that, to get to that place. But um, but yes, I mean I think when I think about what would be ideal, if I just throw aside what's practical and what you could do, I think it would be just amazing if an engineer as he was designing if somebody on in manufacturing or in procurement could say hold on stop right there because you're about to design in a problem whether that problem is you're not going to be able to get this part or that problem is this can't be manufactured on 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 my line or with my equipment or it's going to lead to uh to maybe some you know signal integrity or crosstalk issues or something that you haven't considered. Um, absolutely. I think that would be the, the the ideal scenario and and certainly we want to work towards that vision.
3: Yeah, and that's you know, really thinking from our perspective as well, uh, imagine you can do you can design your board almost anyway, and it will mostly be manufacturable. But as you're making those design decisions, you're starting to really narrow down your success window and who's able to effectively manufacture that product without issue. So imagine like, as you're moving a BGA to where another BGA is on the other side of the board, all of a sudden you're getting feedback, hey, now you're requiring a nitrogen oven, right? Now you're requiring epoxy, etc. These things uh, start giving you feedback and they're driving your cost up this much. And then imagine if you could just sit there and say, hey, okay, great. What's the best way for me to address this situation? And potentially have someone on the other end go, hey, try doing this instead, right? Try this strategy.
0: Yeah. And I think I remember seeing some long ago in my career, some kind of statistic that I, I, I almost wouldn't want to be quoted because I'll inevitably get it wrong. But it was something to the effect that, you know, 80% of your cost. Kind of is designed into the product in the first 20% of the time that you're working on that. And I think that's the moment. That is exactly the moment where you have to have, you know, information at your fingertips that allow you to make better decisions on that. And I think, again, I mean, the key to that is that the, the people who often know that are not, it's not the designer. It's because that's not his job. It's not his job to source parts. It's not his job to figure out how he's going to manufacture that. But the people you know that he relies upon, if they can contribute to that, then that sort of like critical twenty percent of the time up front can can really do wonders towards making sure you get design right first time. You get it. You make it the most cost effectively. You kind of future proof it with respect to being able to get uh, you know components. Uh, uh, bare boards, et cetera, that you're going to need everything that you're going to need to be able to do that. Not only in kind of like a prototype context, but ultimately in production manufacturing as well.
1: Yeah. I I never really thought about that way, but you're right. The first 20% of your board design is finding what components you want and choosing what packages they are. And that pretty much defines one, your supply chain and two, your your manufacturability in terms of who you can use to assemble those parts if you're choosing um you know dip components and and through hole stuff it's like well yeah anyone can make that but makes the board larger but then you go swing it the other way and go oh i want to use oh one oh oh fives on my you know chip components um that's also going to drive up your costs for an equally different reason
3: <laughs> yeah and i think that, that's one of the things you know when we look at the paths to solutions that, that people have taken traditionally whether it's hey we're just going to do a bomb scrub down we're going to do design rules etc what they're often missing in a lot of cases are the intent of the product not just how it's to be used but the volume in, into which is being being produced right um what is the warranty period on that product going to be, et cetera? What is, you know, what is the price point you're going to sell it at? Uh, taking in those kind of intents earlier in the design process and giving feedback where you're designing against the final intention. Uh, so I'll say, for example, like you mentioned, using a lot of dip parts, you know that's easy to do. But when you're starting to think about mass producing something, you're starting to kick off additional costs based on that intent of mass production. You know, if I'm going to produce fifty or hundred of these boards, it's going to get thrown on a selective solder or hand soldered somewhere. But if I want to produce fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, I'm now making you know dozens, if not hundreds, of wave pallets, right? And this is driving up my NRE, my engineering, and then of course I now have to have a facility that uses wave soldering, and you know, am I, am I trying to mix chemistries here, et cetera? All these things have to start to come into play. And I think that by connecting the manufacturing intelligence directly to the design intelligence that that Altium has, we have the first opportunity ahead of us to really start taking that intent in and driving the design to a more manufacturable product.
1: Yeah, it's one thing that doesn't really get captured too much in when you get that EDA tool packet, all the Gerbers and and Bill materials from the customer. Um, one thing that's missing is, this is the biggest problem we have with like part alternates, is they go, okay, just give me a resistor. It's like, well, what's important about that resistor? Is it the value in the power rating or is it the package? Or is it, can you change the package and we can change the wattage rating and just tweak the value? Like what is the actual important things that matter for that component so we can choose a proper alternate? Yeah, and I think
0: that's exactly why design rules kind of fall short, because how do you convey that? That's very sort of situational, right? And, and it's going to be different in every design. So there's no way that you can create some generic rule that says this is always the right choice of a resistor. That there's always sort of like if-then kind of you know, logic that's involved in that that's in the head of, of the people who are involved uh, you know, across that sort of design-to-realization spectrum.
2: You know I think I think what you said right there is is the, the kind of the key word and and something that gets me excited about this is uh, it's locked in somebody's head somewhere. Uh, at every single level that we're talking about here, if you're talking about just finding parts or the guy who designs the boards, or the guy who makes ten or the guy who makes fifty thousand, there's different levels of knowledge that some apply across the board, and some of them are just unique to each one of those I said. and if it's if there's something out there that can, I don't like using this word too much, but demystify all of those, or at least educate engineers uh, about all of those rules, that's phenomenal. And then we don't have to, you know, peel everything out of somebody's head.
0: Yeah, and again, I think the key thing is that there's always going to be room for sort of specialization in the form of expert knowledge, and, and you know we value that a lot, and, and no one person is ever going to contain that all, you know, in their in their head? In, even if they did, that'd probably be the only human in the history of the planet who, who will ever have it. But but the reality is they won't. So the key to that is, uh, is enabling people to work together. And 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 I think the only way to do that is uh, by virtue of digital platforms, which kind of just takes me back to the original point. That's what we believe in, and you know, it's what we are trying to do in the world of design. And what we see Macrofab doing in the world of manufacturing. So for me, this is just such a natural pairing to say that, you know, bringing these two very aligned philosophies together and saying, how do we make that whole thing work together better? Taking advantage of the cloud, taking advantage of more uh, intelligence, whether it's in manufacturing, it's design and supply chain taking advantage of all the data that we produce and we collect and, and yet, you know, haven't yet been successful in, in kind of putting it together and applying, you know, AI and ML to it and so forth. That, that's like a huge opportunity to really be disruptive in a really positive way for the industry. And, and that's, I know from talking with with Chris and f- with Misha, um, Macrofem CEO, and, and, and everybody kind of in, in their respective teams. That's what we're excited about. That's the opportunity.
3: Yeah, and I think, um, you know, one of the things we we talk about there, and I, um, yeah, I think Misha wanted me to say something about DevOps in here, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna get too deep into that. Um, but when we think about you know what it what it means to be a platform. To be, uh, you know, it's both from the case of like the design tool being a platform, the manufacturing service being a platform. It is about taking all of the components you really need along the journey and being able to piece all those together into one into one coherent set to solve all of the problems you have. So when we talk about that expert knowledge, you know, one of the big challenges. We've seen historically with manufacturing is you know as you pointed out there's the guy that makes fifty and the guy that makes fifty thousand for you, right? A lot of times the information that's learned when they're making that first fifty never translates over to the guy who's making the fifty thousand, and you have to relearn all of that. And that is you know in particular a conversation that uh, you know Ted and I have been having you know quite a bit about which is how do we make that information available? All that design intent, all the stuff that was learned and figured out from the design phase, make that available all the way to the manufacturing. And then when you're coming back and doing a new rev on your product, how do you access all of that that knowledge that was learned about your product and the challenges and the fixes and all that from the manufacturing back up to the design engineer? How do we put all that together? And that's, that's really a critical piece um to a platform play like this is to take all those components, not only give you access to them, but retain the knowledge and the information as you're working with those and as different parties are in there helping you out to build this product, putting it all together. Yeah, and I think, you know,
0: just to kind of nod to to Misha's um uh, sort of thinking regarding DevOps and how that relates to this. You know, I, I don't know that I would say it the same way that he would, but when I think about DevOps, I think about, you know, engineers in the software world taking advantage of things like automation, um, collaboration, and then using those things so that you can move from kind of this, this sort of like discrete product releases that happen every once in a while to continuous development and continuous deployment. And and for me, that's an exact analog, a- analog here to what we're saying is that, you know, we want to use knowledge so that we can, can encapsulate it into into. It things that can be automated in the process that we're using. We want to take advantage of the fact that that knowledge comes from different places and we want those people to collaborate so that we get better at what we're doing. And instead of having this sort of, again, this sort of serial situation where I live in my design world and then one day I throw it over the wall to Chris and he has to figure out what I meant and where all that context was, what was the design intent and all of that. Instead, we can be continuously working towards creating what is going to be, you know, the, again, sort of like uh, the product that's going to be designed right first time. It's going to be built right first time.
1: So this leads into this question. It's only been already partially answered is so do you envision that engineers will take a much bigger role in their electronics production with their companies? I, I
0: certainly do, and i think I think it's already happening. I mean I think it's just you know I, I actually like when we look at the way that uh, I think it's part of the reason why macrofab is becoming you know more and more successful is exactly that is that engineer engineers are are taking already um, a bigger role in that and but but we've kind of you know with uh, the technologies that we've kind of given them to interact between design and manufacturing, you know, we've kind, of, we've kind of held them back. I mean, really, what have we given them? We've given them, you know, circa 1990s tools. We've given them emails, and we've given them phones, and yeah, we've improved it because we've given them a cell phone instead of, you know, a landline that they don't have to be locked to. But we haven't given them much more than that. So, you know, the emergence of a, a, a platform for manufacturing and the emergence of platforms in the design world, and now the opportunity to connect them together. To me, this is this is precisely because of that, because engineers want and need to play a much bigger role in production.
3: And I think, you know, to, to add on to that, Ted, a little bit, um, you, know, you talked earlier about the continuous integration and continuous deployment. One of the things that, you know, my background in software, you know, in addition to manufacturing, um, you know, really strikes me as the reason why so many of the cloud technology and tools out there are, are taken up so well is they give the right people the right level of control and information at the right time. So it's not like, you know, a, as an engineer, I have to tell you everything about how to build this product. But if I can... Con- You know, when feedback comes in to change something, the ability to say, "Okay, I'm going to take control over this change. I'm not going to rely on my supply chain team authorizing that part for you. I'm going to come in and authorize it, and I'm going to capture that back in the design here so that the next time this happens, nobody has to ask me a question. Right. You know, this is something I've answered it. The information is here in the system. It's ready to roll and we're ready to go forward.
1: Ah. That's what engineers like to do, like, like to hear, is not having to do things twice. <laughs> yes. I,
3: you know, I, I think we, we all live in the same boat. We, we hate having to repeat ourselves. And, you know, this was something that, and, and I know, uh, you know, Altium's been, you know, developing around this as well, some, some really great solutions there. But, you know, one of the big challenges that we experienced in the past was that that handoff to, from the engineer to the purchasing team was often a zip file. Right, they were static files that didn't change, and you know, after a year or two in production, if they were trying to take that design somewhere else, what they're getting quoted to get built is not the thing they're actually shipping. <laughs> right, so many changes have happened to that product on the manufacturing floor, et cetera, um, that a lot of it didn't even flow back to the engineer. They weren't even aware of those changes, and so it's like doing, you know, some Indiana Jones work, you know. With with every every new kickoff of production you got to figure out all the stuff that that is different from what this package says
1: it, it's surprising how much that story has repeated itself uh, having manufactured so many products over the years is <laughs> <laughs> you're giving me PTSD
3: yeah I, I just <laughs> I just remember one time, like someone showed us a picture of the product, and I'm looking at the product online on their webpage. I'm like, "These aren't the same products." Are you sure we're quoting the right thing here? But usually, what
1: happens in that case is the procurement team is just using the original files they got quoted years ago at their current CM. Well, um, I, th-
2: I think similar kind of what what Ted said earlier, where uh, when you have a design package and you, you hand it over, it's just files or, or, or a zip file or whatever. And, and half the time it's just like the word good luck written on it, you know? (laughs) Uh, and, and, uh, I think a lot of that stems from the classic business structure of what engineering looks like. Like you have this team of engineers and just due to the communication structure, they build this giant communication wall around them and they expect communication to come in one way and go out another way. And, uh, and the purchasing team, Um, the way the documentation flows in between them, it's just, it ends up being garbled when it, when it's originally tried to be, trying to be very structured and very, um, strict in order to prevent issues. Uh, I, I completely agree with you, Chris, having engineers, um, perhaps have their tendrils a little bit further into other departments is actually a beneficial thing. Um, I know certainly we ran into situations like that at at one of my first jobs where, um, documentation spawned from engineering and it was great because you had a very small select group of people who all had the same train of thought in terms of how documentation should look and how it should read and feel. Uh, But it seemed like the loop never got connected back because it always spawned from one location. Uh, And so when there was problems, uh, we just weren't told.
3: (laughs) Right. It was great documentation for Whatever for, the for state the very of that first was, thing. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Unless it
1: was incorrect. Right. <laughs> well,
0: yeah. <laughs> kind of like go a step further and tell you that that you know on that idea of the role of engineering and, and, and if engineers you know are going to be kind of like playing a bigger role in that, I can tell you, you know, we we for uh, for four years now we've held a, a conference for our users and um, and that's called Altium Live. And at that conference, I can tell you that this topic of engineers wanting to know more about what happens in manufacturing, they want to know the why behind how things, where things go wrong, because they see it goes wrong pretty much every time. And I can tell you, when I, and, and you guys would relate to this even more than, than I will, but if I've gone to a fabricator or I've gone to a contract manufacturer, you, I can ask them a simple question to say, how many times... Does that design come to you in a way that you can just send it out to the floor and get it manufactured? And the answer is zero. That never happens. And literally, they say zero in this sort of binary way. It's not. It happens once in a while. It never happens. There's always those sorts of questions. And the, the, and what our users at those conferences tell us continuously is, yep, that's true. We agree. But we have no. We don't know why. And and I think this kind of it gets gets down to that idea that they you know. They need to take a bigger role in that. They want to take a bigger role in it. And it's ironic to me in that I can remember, you know, decades ago, early in my career as as kind of a mechanical engineer, getting introduced to this concept of concurrent engineering. And and this was literally 30 years ago. And yet here we are today in kind of like in in the same way, introducing a concept very similar and saying, right? Design and manufacturing need to work together. Design, manufacturing, and quality engineering need to be kind of on the same page and and talking the same language and to kind of understand each other's worlds. And it's sort of like history repeating itself kind of all over again here. But um, I'd say that I can tell you for sure that is the single sort of like most commonly asked question by designers, is you know why does that happen, and how can you you know how can you help us with that? And our answer up until now has been, you know, to really try to um, to bring manufacturing people to the table to to be able to do things like have a roundtable discussion on that to try to help understand each other. But but I think that the real um, you know the real sort of magic potion here that's going to solve the problem is to have them communicating with each other, you know, as they're, as they're making these kinds of decisions that, you know, they may be trade off decisions or, or whatever, but I, I just think that that, that's the answer there is that, that, that intelligence has to come in, but it has to be in context of the specific design they're working on now, because no design role will capture, you know, anywhere near all of the different scenarios that will come up. So. I think it's I think it's critical, and it's it's not. I think this isn't like, you know, Chris and Ted or anybody from our team sort of like dreaming this up and saying, "Wouldn't it be a wonderful world if it literally, you know, engineers and manufacturing people saying we need your help to solve this problem and we need it today."
3: Absolutely, and I think um, you, you know one of the things that we've really talked about, you know, one of the one of the key objectives in this partnership is really about enabling that communication flow right uh whether it's you know whether you're talking about you know the macrofabs uh manufacturing engineering team making themselves that information available to the design engineer or the factory floor you know having the ability to give feedback in real time um to you know answer questions hey You know, I know you're already building this product for me, but if I were to change this, what impact is it going to have on you? Is it going to make it easier? Is it going to make it faster? Is it going to make it more expensive? Being able to get that feedback quickly and easily um, is critical to what we're working on here.
1: And one of the, I think, because Ted was talking about like the last 30 years uh, and stuff hasn't really changed in that regards. I think what happens is, Especially with these, and how, what we was talking about, like divisions of of companies and like the like boxes, where no one wants like once information goes one direction, information never goes back the other direction, no matter what happens. Um, and we, I've experienced that all the time, especially with with uh, like PCB fabricators, like the actual board houses. Where this is just an example: is you'll send your design files, and they'll just change stuff. <laughs> and not even tell you, and so it's like I don't even, like, and they'll make it more manufacturable for them, but they won't tell you, so you can't update your design at all, and you just get the working files back sometimes, right? And then they're different, and you're like, why are these different? And it's enabling that that communication backwards and breaking down that barrier so that they can actually tell you, hey, you should probably change these things, so we can don't have to change them later down the road or again down the road.
3: Yeah, and I think. There's another dimension to that too, as well, and I don't want to overly complicate the the story, but maybe you don't want to take all those changes back in. Maybe those changes yeah, that, are that too. isolated to a specific process at a specific place, and you want to have that information and that awareness, but you don't necessarily want to apply that change globally. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say, for example, you know, one of the things that we deal with is every PCB fabricator, not every, but, you know, PCB fabricators kind of fall into these sets based on the size of raw materials they, they prefer to buy and work with. So you end up with different panelization rules for different fabricators, right? Now, that's not something you want to say, everyone has to use this panelization. Now, you might want to do that, really, if you're looking to do high volume production. But if you're, you're doing a lot of iterations, a lot of changes, that's something you want to take in as guidance but not necessarily you know sort of a a hard and fast rule and that's going to be you know as we work forward that's always going to be one of the challenges is really making not just information available but again that context and when it should be applied and how it should be applied making that available to everyone in the process as well
1: and um something that might be a little more controlled for the engineer side, because that's more like the manufacturer CM controlling the panelization of their, of the boards, but on the design side, the, what, how the paste is applied to the boards. Um, there's two leading technologies out there. There is stencils, uh, you know, squeegeeing paste across the board. And then there's also jet printers, both work in a completely different manner of how they apply paste. And enable you to do completely different things with, with components on the board. Whereas the pace, the paste jetter, you can you can put large large components like that have large thermal pads and that kind of stuff near other components that don't need a lot of paste because it can selectively deposit the part uh, the paste on the boards. Whereas a stencil, the only way to do that is with a step stencil, which besides the NRE cost, also has other issues of like when the blade goes across the step stencil, it's going to leave a shadow area as it goes across the step that causes all sorts of issues. So you might have two different paste files, depending on where, what contract manufacturer or in terms of macrofab, even at our, our HQ factory, it, it can be paste on the jet printer or in the stencil as well. So it it depends on the volume and that kind of, and uh, those uh, considerations.
0: Yeah, like Chris said, that's all part of the context, right? That you need yeah. to know. It's not only, it's not only, you know, I wanted this resistor, or this capacitor in this location, but it's, you know, is this going to be a product that is, um, it, it's going to be, you know, I'm going to make a hundred of, and that's that's it, or is this something that I'm going to make, you know, a half a million of, and those are different things. And likewise, you'd say, well, what what's the what are the operating conditions of the end product? I mean, is this something that's gonna be like for, uh, you know, ruggedized military use, or is this something that sits inside of somebody's, you know, uh, inside of a cabinet in somebody's house and hidden away and, you know, the no, never faces any, you know, difficult conditions or anything like that. All of that kind of like contributes to that, that idea of context and needing to know, you know, what was the design intent and what is the, what's the production intent? What's the what's sort of the customer intent? All of that stuff needs to be you know understood to make the right kind of decisions. And I, you know t- the other thing I think about a lot is that the the you know the reality is is that people in the uh, in the manufacturing space they have a set of tools that they use, and it, you know, it could be CAM tools, it could be pre-CAM tools. There's engineering tools. There's all kinds of things that they use when they get that packet, that zip file, which by the way, I think we should, we should endeavor to, to away with that entirely because that's just, it's just sort of like uh, introducing error into the system that, that ultimately I don't think that we need. Um, and that's another thing that I think that we do together. But and, and on the same, by the same token, we have all kinds of tools in design and I think we can't try to um, convince people that either of them should switch tools. Or that we're gonna find one universal tool that that does it all. I don't really think that's feasible and, and I think the I guess I would say that's sort of core to what Altium is trying to do now with, with our cloud platform. You know, and, and our, our users see that through features and functions and so forth, but we're trying to make that cloud platform now, we're opening that up and you know, you use the you you even as you introduced me, you said head of Nexar, Altium's cloud business unit. Well, Nexar is just, you know, the uh, the partner facing side of that same cloud platform. We call it Altium three hundred and sixty five for our customers, our users. We call it Nexar for partners, and that's like opening up um, APIs, um, data streams, and and embeddable kind of experiences that that allow those tools to be able to communicate with one another seamlessly. Users shouldn't have to worry about that. But imagine that if you are, you know, in one of MacroFab's factories and you're using whatever, uh, Fab 3000. And imagine rather at the point when you see that there's an issue with that design, rather than taking that out of the tool and putting it into an Excel sheet or a Word document or an email or something, that you can simply comment on it right there and have that all of a sudden without even thinking about it. The guy on the design side of the equation is seeing that reflected in Altium Designer, right? That That's the kind of um, thing that I think that we've really got to look to, um, to do is to not try to ask people to change, but to try to make the things that they are already doing work better and work more seamlessly and, and do that in a way where they don't have to think about it. It just works
1: less less friction in reporting the problem exactly
0: less less friction in all of these aspects of of you know ultimately this is a collaboration problem i say a collaboration problem
1: no that's 100% what it is yeah
0: it's not that people don't collaborate they do we collaborate every single day but we just do it in a really poor way so this the, the, there's no excuse for us not to be able to use the technology that we have today in 2021 to make that you know work seamlessly like as if we were you know constantly connected and you know through headsets and talking to each other and seeing the same thing that's that's the world that we should be uh that we should be creating
3: for 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 the electronics industry i think i'm going i'm gonna jump in and ask a question here i know it's normally different for i'm supposed to answer questions but you know um, <laughs> oh, this is just
1: a discussion yes.
3: <laughs> yeah it's a discussion we, we're 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 communicating information in in bi-directionally through our uh, podcasting platform here. Uh, (laughs) But, um, you know, one of the things, you know, we, we talk about, you know, sharing information, but there is, when we talk about collaboration, so far, you know, we've been really discussing people doing independent things, right? And putting their results and that information in there. But but Ted, what's what's your take on true collaboration in real time through through platforms like Altium three hundred and sixty five, Nexar, and MacroFab, like sort of like an MPI process, you know, if you would imagine. Yeah, that. no,
0: I mean, I, I think I think to, I, I think this is exactly the future, and the future as we envision it. Um, even if we didn't envision it, I think it's inevitable that it's going to it's, it's happen, right? There's just momentum. The slope of the ground is going in that way. When I think about new product introduction, I think about the idea that of, of making decisions. I mean, ultimately, for me, you know, new product in- introduction is, is sort of all about that. It's making those decisions about what products do I want to introduce? Is there going to be a product market fit? for that can i produce it at a price point that's going to actually be successful in the market and and in order to do that i think you know two things at least probably many things but at least two things that i think don't happen today have to happen one is that we have to have you know you make decisions hopefully based on information right rather than based on your gut feeling i think this thing is going to be successful you w- everyone would like to do that based on having you know not just data but intelligence right and so i think i think the oper- one one thing right now is that i know on the manufacturing floor you guys are collecting all kinds of data right and i think that and, and likewise on the design side if i think about you know altium 365 in this cloud platform um, and I think about Octopart, our our sort of search um, engine that we have to find electronic components and so forth. There's a tremendous amount of information in all three of those worlds or all three of those domains about what are the kinds of uh, chips components, whether they're passive active, whatever, what 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 things are people interested in? What are they looking at? But then we can say why, because we know the kinds of designs that are being produced. Are these more high speed, high density designs? Um, are they using, um, you know, different n- newer forms of interconnect to that sort of things. And we also know, likewise, you know, we can see what's happening from the side of, of production and how, you know, is that is that effective? What, and you know, what things are being used in what kinds of quantities, where in the world are they being produced? And, you know, there's a lot of just a tremendous amount of data that exists that, that could be used to help us um, to make those decisions, but it's really hard to sort of like harness that and do something with it. And so when I think about, again, this um, new product introduction and, and, you know how is this gonna? How is how are digital platforms gonna play a role in that? Well, I think I think it's inevitable that that will happen because everyone, everyone that I know, every one of our customers that, that I work with, are asking how do you how could you help us to make those decisions more effectively? Uh, it's not just now about saying you know how can I like sort of like speed up the design process. I think we're in many ways we're sort of like past that era where we kind of like looked at sort of like gross improvement. Areas And we're down now to, to where, you know, we, we, in order to kind of um, take the next steps in being able to produce things more, uh, more efficiently, faster, more economically, all of that kind of stuff. It, it really comes down to intelligence. And digital platforms, I think, is the only way that we're going to harness all of that information. It's the only way we can capture it. It's, it's a manufacturing floor today it, 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 let's be realistic. It is on a digital platform um, in terms of collecting information in some way. But we never connected things like, you know, how do I quote um, those jobs? How do I make sure that, you know, again, that connection between the design files coming in and the things that we need to um, work with here in the manufacturing plant? Um, you know, how do I make sure that they're the same thing? How do I make sure that I understood the intent? All, all of that kind of stuff. Right. So I, I I don't even see it as a question. I uh, it's it it is absolutely a matter of when, not if. And I think, you know, it's our intention and I know Macrofab's intention and our t- intention together that we're going to um that we want to be first. That we want to introduce that and um you know, for the benefit of our of of our customers, you know, and, and for our companies.
3: Yeah. And I I just want to jump out there with one thing because I'm like, you know, I'm thinking through this and I'm like, I've got this wish in my head, right? Um, you, you guys have this really cool uh, viewer where you can take, where remotely two people can, you know, be sitting, you know, across the country from each other and you can, you know, look at the board in 3D you know 3 view, 2D view, bring up the net list, et cetera. Now, you know, you know in, in my world, you know, these days, NPI mostly means like, Oh, we've already designed it. Now you figure out how to manufacture it. Good luck, right? Um, And I'm imagining that kind of NPI meeting, right? Where instead of sitting here with printouts and documents and people are on video calls, we can actually take the design, look at it, and start bringing that information in in real time. Like see this here, this part, it's the problem because we're getting feedback in real time from this saying "These, these components are too close to each other and now you're gonna have this issue. Let's go ahead and just move that now, right now, and have that reflect back to the design, update the manufacturing instructions, and imagine doing that through a platform where every aspect of that process, and I'm, I'm even stepping a bit further here because this is really in line with a lot of the stuff you know I've been having to work on recently, which is now imagine that fitting into an enclosure, right? And in the process and everything, a real product coming together but being able to sit there in a world and say, okay, we're all looking at this, you see right there that radius on that, that screw boss and the half of that enclosure is going to have an interference problem about 40% of the time because your tolerances are here and we can see this and then actually start making changes in real time. So it's not just about controlling the flow and the intent, but it's really about true collaboration between all the parties there.
0: Yeah, and I think the critical thing that you said, Chris, in my mind is real time, because again, that collaboration it takes place, but super inefficiently. I, I remember very distinctly talking to a, an engineer from Google who said, "You know, why is it that I, you know I have to uh, zip up a set of files and I send that to my fabricator or my contract manufacturer, and he?" find something like that that needs to be adjusted but he happens to be in another time zone he might be across the world and and he might be even speaking a different language so what he will do is see that problem and inevitably there's a 24-hour turnaround because of the time zone before the answer comes back to me but i don't quite understand if i'm if i'm answering the right question because i don't have the context i've only got the written word or something that's in an excel sheet so I have to turn around and ask him to clarify that. Another 24-hour passes. And then maybe I've, maybe then I understood what he wanted. I can make that change, and now I send those files back to him again and wait for a confirmation. Days and weeks pass while this stuff happened. And, and literally this guy was, I would like to say, tearing his hair out. I've obviously done that a lot. But, but, but literally saying, why, why, is, why does it have to be that way? Can't, there's got to be a better way. And this is the better way, real-time collaboration.
1: It's not just that, though. is because you were talking about how poor we collaborate now. And the reason why it's poor is because it happens after the bad things have already happened. If we could collaborate in a way that would make it so we can get ahead of those, then the collaboration is just better. And everyone's in a better mood. And maybe people will actually start liking meetings again. Well,
2: also, (laughs) if the collaboration is informed by the wealth of data from both Uh, Altium and Macrofab, that helps guide towards the correct answer or uh, one correct answer uh, in those meetings, such that you don't just beat your head on a table looking for answers. Yeah,
3: I I think, you know, to kind of double down on that for one more moment, you know, there's, I always get the statement wrong, but there's like this old management thing that your organization structure tends to replicate the communication uh, style within the organization. Um, And we look at the problems we have today, and especially around collaboration, it is because all the tools at each point in the process that everybody's running are really running in silos. So it's not that you do a collaborative NPI process with your contract manufacturer. No, no, no. You send them your files. They perform the, their NPI process with their tools, they produce their report, they come back to you at the end of it, right? Uh, there, there's it's With the existing tool set and the existing way that we have implemented these processes today, I mean, as, a, as an industry as a whole, you really get can only get a sequ- sequential process out of that. To get it collaborative, we really need to get the tools talking to each other in real time so that the engineer can be... The manufacturing engineer can be sitting there with his tool that he's comfortable with, but you're getting it instantaneously instead of having to wait for him to produce a report at the end of it.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I actually fully agree with what you said, and maybe to put a practical spin on what we're talking about. I mean, we talk, talked a lot about the concepts of making these things work together, but if I could just be really practical for a moment, I think, Chris, you hit on exactly kind of where we're going together in the sense that you know right now what you know again somebody finishes up a design in altium designer and they create a release package and now that release package is sitting there on his desktop and and now what happens to it he's got to go to something else like email and independently again just sort of like toss it out into space and and it gets there but there's but there's no there's no connectivity And, and really what we've been talking about and what we're going to do is to Make it such that that, that that tool chain actually becomes a connected set of links. Because I think right now there's many breaks in the links of the tool chain, if you will, that exists when you go from design all the way through to realization, which is my word for manufacturing, right? Um, so I think you know what we're going to do together is make it possible for the design engineer when he says... You know, release to manufacturing. It is literally doing that because those tools are connected. When he presses release to manufacturing, it can go from Altium Designer to uh, to uh, to. It could be you know Fab three thousand, or it could be. Uh, a UCAMCO tool or it could be a frontline tool or whatever it is on the other end of that to make those things connected so that the links are, are literally connected together. That's what we're going to do, right? So there isn't going to be this intermediary of, you know, having to wait for an email or a phone call or, or you know, worse yet, sometimes, a, you know, a package in the mail. Um, it, it's, it, we're going to make it such that the, uh, the design engineer... First of all, you know that, that sort of real-time collaboration that Chris talked about, that that exists that as he's making decisions. If he wants to invite a manufacturing partner to look at what he's doing and to help provide some insight into what his decisions mean downstream, he's going to be able to do that. And he's going to be able to do that tool to tool, not, not through some sort of intermediate step that really doesn't need to be there. That's what we're going to do together. We're going to make this a streamlined, seamless sort of flow of information, of data, of design information, of manufacturing information, and, and just sort of improve that whole, that
3: whole process to be real time. Yeah, and, I'm, and I'm really excited about this because, you know, in, in our world, the design has always been upstream. There's a, an upstream silo that spits a bunch of stuff at us that we may or may not be able to interpret, we may or may not understand. Um, and there's, there's not, to this point, there hasn't been a ready and willing partner to engage with us to create that, that communication flow. And you know, having that will result in better outcomes for you know, the design engineers, the purchasing teams, everybody. Um, that will really have a measurable impact on the productivity and success of those those teams out there.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a it's a mandate from from you know for our industry. You know, you can everybody can read the same sort of information on how much our industry is growing. And and you know, it wasn't too long ago. I, I think it was like 2018. We said there was something like I don't know 17... 17 billion connected devices, connected devices or something like that in the world. And, you know, now by most estimates, it's going to be in five years time, that's going to be a, a hundred billion of those devices. And the reality is our industry can't, couldn't even meet that demand today because of the issues, exactly the issues that we're talking about. So I think, you know, what this is going to do is enable us to work together to, to be able to, to achieve that. And, and, you know, not to be too uh, uh, sort of philosophical about it, but, you know, I, I think it matters because when I think about what those, you know, devices are, you know, these are, these are things that people rely upon every day. I mean, we, we've had users of our software show up at our conference and talk about the fact that they are able to design a cochlear implant that helps somebody who is deaf to be able to hear for the first time in their life, that helps somebody who um who is uh paraplegic to be able to actually you know manipulate things around them and to interact with their world physically again which they've you know kind of lost that ability to to help you know in the healthcare industry so that we can you know better diagnose and treat diseases and everything like i said i don't want to get too sort of philosophical about it but i think it's important to realize that this isn't just about two companies talking about how do we make more money i mean it hopefully results in in sort of like enlarging the potential pie for everybody in our industry because we are able to produce the you know or meet that that growing demand for that stuff help our customers to actually deliver more innovation and and you know hopefully make an impact on society at the same time so you know i i i think it's both exciting from a technical perspective. And I know that's where Chris and I will get excited because we say, oh, can you imagine a future where we can make manufacturing and design work together? And that's super important, but I don't want to lose sight of that big picture that, you know, this, this, it it matters that we actually do this.
1: So I got, I got a quick question here. Actually, it might be a little too early since uh, Altium and MacFabra just started working together, but for, what can Altium's and MacFab's current customers expect to see in the near future with this collaboration? Well, you know, what's the first impacts that they're going to start seeing?
3: Well, obviously we're, we're, we're not, uh, we're not ready yet to come out with all the details. Uh, There's, there's going to be a whole lot coming from us uh, in the the near future here, but I think in general, I I can speak it in very high level terms uh, because these are, these are still going to be impactful things is, on one hand, from the macrofab perspective, you are gonna see better intake of information from Altium and other EDA tools, because Altium's actually done a lot of work there in really understanding how to interpret this data and find find you know useful information in there. And, you know, being able to leverage Altium's experience, especially dealing with Altium data, right, uh, to get a better, smoother experience for the engineer on that intake of that design information, um, that's going to be a big part of what they're going to see. And likewise, you know, as we mentioned earlier, um, being able to take the data that MacroFab has about, you know, cost constraints about process constraints and take that all the way up to the design stage that is really the two of the key areas we're focusing in on right now yeah and i'll go a little bit further and say that you know the
0: it relates back to a question you asked earlier about you know the the role of uh kind of you know platforms in new product introduction and and things like that and i think you know, one of the things, like if I think about again, sort of the way things are, are done today, is that engineers, their ability to participate in in sort of the sourcing process to you know to manufacturers is a little bit sort of hampered, right? Because they rely on other people many times in their organization in purchasing and procurement to help make those decisions, and a purchasing and procurement person, their context is often limited to like pricing and timing, um, but the engineer knows a whole lot more about intent. So I think what this is going to enable is for the engineers on the design side to be able to participate in that, those sourcing decisions and those sourcing conversations that will result in those decisions with manufacturers and and do that in a way that, that sort of everybody wins because better the, those those decisions are going to be are going to be better and at the same time invite their their manufacturing partners into the process while they're, you know, at the point they are making those design decisions. And, and, and we will, I'm not going to put a, you know, a name on it, like it was a product name or something, but I think making that possible is what our customers should expect from us. And they should expect that from us, not in, on a time horizon that's you know so far out in the future that, you know, it's interesting, but it's not impactful. We're striving to do this, in a hurry. Um, and it may be that we don't have kind of what we envision as the ultimate 100% solution, um, you know, on day one, but I think that we will, and I know Chris, Chris, myself, Misha, others who are all kind of committed to saying, let's, you know, let this, let's put this on a rail. Let's fast track it so that we can get something out there that, that starts to give users some of that capability. Um, and, and, and when I say users, I mean, sort of, I mean, customers on both sides of what is you know those sort of walled gardens today, and make it you know one
3: big playground where they're all playing together. Absolutely, and I think you know Ted, you hit on a good point because if we look at that that future vision, that requires a lot of people, a lot of companies out there putting in effort, Um, and if we start out with that perfect vision and say it has to be that to come out it never actually comes out right because it's that momentum of one success after another that incremental gain that really you know encourages other people to come into the party so our our first step here will be to show immediate value to altium users and to macrofab users through this collaboration and we we hope to have uh very quickly um some things everybody can now do that they couldn't do before
0: yeah. And, and we'll learn from that. Right. I mean, it's the, the customers who engage on that. I'm sure they're going to they're going to come up with ideas and, and requests that we may not have considered yet. Right. And we're going to look at those and we're going to say, that's a great one. Let's let's actually, you know, work to put that in. So I think it's an important, you know, the partnership is also with our customers. It's not just the two of us. We've got, you know, the, when I say the two of us, I mean, Macrofab and Altium. It's it's more than that. It's all the customers of, of our respective companies as well. And uh, you know, I think um, again, and people should. And, I mean, they should expect that we're going to start to deliver against that vision, you know, as quickly as possible. And I know that there are things that we have identified as the kind of low-hanging fruit, if you will, that, that we can do relatively quickly and relatively easily. And then there's some that some of them that are going to require a much bigger engineering effort. But um, but we will. Um, we will take it on, and we will, you know, knock those out step by step, and and we'll make that sort of connected, collaborative vision a reality.
1: So we could expect a future podcast then with those plans.
3: Definitely a future podcast.
0: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, and hopefully we'll have kind of the you know some uh, some of our customers on there talking about how it's been beneficial for them, how it's helped them, and and why they think it's important as well.
1: Oh, that'd be great.
3: And and I'll get to be a little less cagey because we'll we'll have you know probably a, an actual feature release out there I can talk in great detail on, yeah
1: the real nuts and bolts,
3: a hundred percent.
1: Well, thank you, Ted and Chris, for joining us on the podcast to share and uh, explain this this announcement to us.
3: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I've Really enjoyed. Uh, I always enjoy talking with you guys. So.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys for the first time. So uh, hopefully it won't be the last.
1: (laughs) So, Ted, you opened for us. So, Chris, you get to close us out.
3: Awesome. Well, that was the MacroFab Engineering Podcast. We were your guests, Chris Church and Ted Powella.
1: And we're your hosts, Parker Dolman and Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you. Yes, you are a listener for downloading our podcast and sticking with us in our live stream. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at analogeng or email us at podcast at macfab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at macfab.com slash Slack. So after uh, I stopped the recording... Steven kept talking and he dropped a question that uh, he was a little too polite to ask during the actual recording. I managed to piece together the audio from various sources. So the quality's not the best, but I want you to hear what happened next.
2: Hey, uh, I actually, uh, I've got a little bit of a, um, perhaps a pessimistic question to, to ask. Uh, so, so with all of this integration and collaboration, seems like there's, you know, you were talking about all the links that need to be made between tools and between people, and uh, that seems fairly monumental, and I, I, in terms of scale, quite, quite large, and it seems like a lot of things that could break. Uh, I, email, we, we kind of dogged it in a way, but, but email is great because it's universal, right? It's just communication. Uh, what, what, what are your concerns about you know, something potentially breaking, and then the whole system, the whole line is broken.
3: Uh, from my perspective, uh, good architecture prevents that from happening, right? You you have to take into account not all the possible things that could go wrong, but the critical things that can go wrong. And you build the systems in such a way that they can self-heal around one of those problems. And, uh, you know... I know I'm speaking a little abstractly here, but let's let's get concrete for a moment, right? We deal with this in you know networking, for example, right? The idea that you know <clears throat> this packet of information is very critical, right, um, And I need to know that it got there. Uh, so we build a protocol around that that says, hey, you're going to do this triple SenAC, right um, in TCP, for example. Um, and that was a thing that was added on as a safeguard around an existing protocol, because you know the experience of you know we're going from a small controlled network to a larger one. So, from a general perspective, right, um, that those sorts of things, right, there's no reason why what we're building should fall apart if one link in that chain isn't working what you'll lose though is feedback from that link
0: yeah the other thing I would say is that those protocols that you're talking about Chris I mean that I mean when you think about it email uses the same protocols and, and it has the same vulnerabilities so I, I don't think that there's anything fundamentally different about um, about what we're trying to do with this yeah there's you may think that you may suggest that there's more endpoints but I can't imagine having more endpoints than email so, uh, you know, I don't think that this is really any more fragile than that is, other than, you know, I mean, the, the, if, if everybody follows the protocols, then, you know, there shouldn't be really, you know, kind of a, a, a terrible issue.
1: I, I actually agree with Ted because my view on it is it's already broken really bad. <laughs> and so anything they could do to improve it is going to be super beneficial. Yeah. Um, I didn't get to say it on the podcast recorded, but like, cause Ted was talking about zipping up your files and sending that over there. And that's kind of like, I've talked to engineers before and that's their way of versioning control. I've, I've actually zipped up the wrong files so many times in my life. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, so yeah. it does not
1: fix the problem.
3: <laughs> but we've solved that in software development, right? I don't have to have anyone at this point any human being touch any file to deploy our software, right? Literally, they're checking it into a version control system. It's going through automated testing, right? It's building it, it's testing it out. And when that's approved, it's pushing itself out to the servers. When I say servers, it's not even running servers anymore. It's just tearing down whole sections of the cloud environment and rebuilding them on the fly. It's not as perfect, Church, because we
1: do know that regression is a thing.
3: <laughs> yeah, but yeah, well, uh, well, we're not gonna we're not going talk about, about re- regression. Uh. Yeah, but imagine trying
0: imagine trying to do that. You know, again, sort of in a, yeah, in yes. a folder that you it's have. It's a in your better way job. to do it, for sure. That, that's that's impossible, right? So I think I think there's always gonna be. I mean, there's gonna be no perfect system. That that is also sort of like unobtainium. But I do think that we have a good shot at this, especially if we can kind of like agree on. At the end of the day, there needs to be sort of like certain uh, representations of a design that that are um, sort of like the design. It's the information of record, right? And and those things have to be agreed upon. There's going to be you know something like that that it, multiple sort of instances of that that exist in the in the manufacturing world and some that exist in the design world. If those are vision controlled and the right revisions are connected together, then it should. You know, it should make a lot of that work, but, but ultimately, I think this is—it's like it's like sort of arguing about um, the cloud and saying that well, I, we're not ready to go to the cloud because it's not secure. Well, I can guarantee every one of my customers, and I could prove it to them that that they are far more secure working in the cloud than they are working on their desktops and sending files around through, through. Unsecure protocols, or worse yet, through you know USB sticks and things like that. It's a far worse situation than working on the cloud. At least on the cloud, we can also see we don't have to. You know, there's no record of who stuck a USB stick into my computer, but there is a record every time somebody touches something in my version control system. That's you know whether it's Git or whatever.
3: Yeah, it's you know one of those uh, statements is you know everyone's like, well, I don't trust AWS's security. Well, let's compare the size, funding and experience of your you know, network security team versus Amazon's and then let, let's figure out which one here we want to rely on more. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. Plus, you know, the other thing is just that, again, we've got to take some baby steps, right? So I think, yes, we kind of lay out this whole you know, comprehensive vision for a perfect world and, and the reality is we probably never even achieved that. But if we just connect a couple of things together, it's going to be far better than than we've ever had it before. Yeah,
3: and I think
2: I think it's I think it's fantastic. I'm super excited about it. I just uh, I guess my my concern might be something that um, uh, might not just be my own. You might yeah. run into that a bit. Somebody asking how do all these get connected, and if anything breaks, does all of it break? And of course, you wouldn't design you. that into the your process. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but yeah. I, I expect you'll be
3: asked that. Because yeah, uh, this I, thing I, I is, I guarantee it.
1: No, because you, you, you brought up email in that example, Stephen. Um, I've done it a lot where I'll, like, like just wake up and look at my email, and then I'll just, like, click it, read it, and then, like, I hit my snooze button and fall back asleep for 10 minutes. That email is just gone from my brain, and it's been marked as read.
2: Oh, I'm not <laughs> trying to
1: make the claim that email
2: is superior in any way. No, no, it's it's just, just, you yeah, brought that up. Email is inherently human, and yeah. that is flawed. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so whenever
1: yeah, well. someone brings up email, I'm like, that is the worst way to communicate with, especially me. I'm like the worst with email. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, no, it, I, I, but, my, my
2: point is it's universal. Uh, every okay. Everyone expects it. Everyone knows it. And it's something that you can fall back on. Well,
3: yeah. here's, here's sort of the beautiful thing about that. The beautiful thing about a universal tool with major flaws is it's waiting to be an interface to a much more controlled tool. And so, for example, you know, we use email coming out of the platform to indicate something has happened, but the action you take off of that is back on the platform. So the answer of, did someone read that email and then hit their snooze button, well, we'll know that, right? You know, for example, because I can see, well, not always, but many times I can actually see that you've opened the email, right? Our software can see that. We could see that you didn't click on the action and that can in, in itself trigger a whole new set of events, right, that can bring it to someone's attention. Hey, this is a critical item and they, they've read it, but they haven't responded in an hour. Let's go ahead and push another notification to them, to, hey, remind you, you need to respond to this.
2: But you're right to bring it up
3: because people will ask it for sure. Mm. Yeah.
2: I, I think one of the, one of the biggest things that, that really resonates with me about that is uh, about the whole platform that you're talking about there or connectivity of it is the, the fact that feedback occurs in one location as opposed to being distributed among many people's emails to be forgotten. Right. Uh, if it is something that is in your face and has some kind of action, Tied to it, or if the platform just continually reminds you about this action, that is immensely helpful for, for revisioning.
3: Yeah, yeah, and that's you know that's one thing uh, you know, especially now that we're not not broadcasting the uh, the podcast, we're we're able to look at how people are using the platform itself and actually construct dynamic content and information to make them more successful. Based off of exactly what they're doing and it's not exactly real-time, but it's pretty darn close Um, You know, for example, we know if you've made it to a certain point in the process and we can send you certain types of help um, That's the kind of things you can start doing when you get all these different uh, components and individuals and companies working together in a platform like this you can actually start automatically identifying, hey, these guys actually need tooling help, right? And then can we go out and, you know, without even having to make them realize they need that help, start presenting it to them in real time, hey, you know, click here to get help with this, click here to get help with that. Um, That I think is really, for, for me, that's one of the great promises of the current state of technology is it's not just about the features and functionality but how we take the information from how people are using those features and that functionality to really uh, kind of reconstruct their interface or their experience on the fly. Yeah, and there's examples of that sort of all over the place
0: sort of like analogs in in the consumer world. Like I think about something like uh, as simple as like a shopping cart. Like if I go and I look at something online and, and I, you know, I might put something in the shopping cart or maybe even I just look at it, but then I leave the site and, and you know, often I'll get an email back and says, hey, you, you you left something in your cart, right? Did you want to buy that? Or or think about it like recommender engines and recommendation engines that say, well, other people who have done things like this also looked at, and, and I think we have that opportunity where we could say other people who, who worked on you know, designs like this, ran into troubles like that, right? And would you like help with that? Or would you like to talk to an expert? Or something, you know, something, something along those lines. So I think there's the, those, you can see the future. I think you can see the future when you look at those sort of like more simple kinds of environments in the consumer space and now think about how we kind of apply those concepts in, in our more complex world. But I think they're equally applicable
1: I, I, and, and one of the big things I think about getting feedback for is a lot of times you start doing like you start changing your design for manufacturability by just seeing what kind of RMAs you're doing, like what you are, let's say if I'm a company I'm getting my product from from Macrofab, and I see an, a, a problem. Um, I'll change my design based on that, but that's not that's not even probably half the things, right? There's a whole thing that the QA team is doing right um being able to capture that feedback too and passing that on to the engineers so they can change even further change their design and make it easier to manufacture is something that would be like that would be just game changing
3: man you're you are hitting on one of the things i love the most about the potential future here right is you know and again this is something i've been living in for a while so i get to i get to have a you know nice you know wonderful dreams about what it what it could be but imagine like you know one of the biggest challenges for me back when we were running you know say dynamic perception is what impact did that product change have on the profitability the quality et cetera, of this product and be able to, in real time, see the data coming off of the floor as you, after you've made a design change and be able to tie that to that design change and say, that has resulted in a 5% lower fallout rate or worse, you know, a 20% higher fallout rate, right? You know, uh, lower yield because of that change. And to get that back, you know, as an engineer, um, while your manufacturing is going on, not, three weeks after the run completed and somebody printed out a report and emailed it to your supply chain person and then two weeks after that when they're yelling at you, my yield rates are low and it's all your fault and you're trying to figure out what the heck you've done. But to be able to start connecting those pieces in real time, I think it will be an amazing opportunity.
2: And Macrofab already does some of that, right?
3: Yeah, we've... we've, uh, I don't know how much we, we would say we currently expose the customers, but we've been building the data and the interconnectivity, and the exposing is coming soon.
2: Right, right. I mean, you were doing that back when I was there, so. Right. Uh, or, or at least beginning it.
3: Right. Yeah. We've, got a, we, we've learned a lot of lessons along the way mm-hmm. since sure. then.